0: Hi family, how are you guys? Um, so first and foremost, I'll need your prayers and some grace. I'm battling with a, uh, a cold all week long, and so just be praying for that. And I don't need to, yeah, just can continually speak clearly uh yeah so it kind of lord's providence uh two weeks ago i was just filling in but i feel like it's really good as i was going back over what i wanted to share with you guys today originally when i was scheduled to i feel like it was really good that i got a chance to like encourage you guys and like and, and just be encouraged by you because i feel like today i'm going to come with a little bit of a challenge and so i like the context there right um i like the context so here's what I want to do, okay? Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to digging in this morning with you guys, but before we do, I'm going to do a little audience participation here uh, with one another. Real quick, I'm going to have you ask one another a deep question. Turn to your neighbor. If you only had five more minutes with them before you never saw them again, what would you say to them? So turn to the person closest to you, and if you only had five more minutes before you never saw them again, uh, maybe an alien took them, or let's not think of horrible things, um, but (laughs) five more minutes, just real quick, ready, and go. Cool. Hopefully no one said good riddance. That would have been really bad. You guys were better than the college students when I asked them this question. There was lots of tears and hugging, and I was like, no, it's not actually happening. But they were quite emotional about it, so that's good. It's kind of sobering, right? It's kind of sobering. That's the interesting thing. Finality brings clarity to our lives. Finality brings clarity to our lives. And this morning, we're going to dig into finality a little bit and sees what bring, clarity it's going to bring into our lives as Christians. And before I move much further, I want to do a quick acknowledgement. Uh, so uh, many of the thoughts and even some of the illustrations from this talk come from a, a talk actually given by a man named Ron Hutchcraft. Um, he's the president of none other than Ron Hutchcraft Ministries, and uh, On Eagle's Wings, which is a ministry to Native American um, speakers. Um, I just wanted to acknowledge that That talk has had a significant influence in this area of my life, and thus it's had influence in this talk. So I want to give him credit um, for that. So let me pray, and uh, we'll dig in, okay? Lord, um, as always, oh, I hope your word will speak and not mine. As always, Lord, I hope you will be glorified. Um, Lord, I pray that you would prepare our hearts right now to receive what you have to share for us both the encouraging and exciting things, but also the challenging things. That we wouldn't walk away today um, with, with nothing to do, but actually that we would be weighed down by the things you've set before us to do, and that you would give us the power to do them. So in your name we pray. Amen. So every other summer, um, my wife and I go out to Fort Collins, Colorado for our biannual staff conference. And uh, in Fort Collins, there's this landmark called the Horse Tooth Rock, because it looks like a horse's tooth. It's like a really um, common hiking thing up there, and you get a really beautiful view up there. And so a few years ago, Elizabeth went with our whole team, and then I stayed home with Charlie, who was about four months at the time. And so we had set up to meet back again for lunch with the whole team. And as I was asking her about it, she was just describing it to me. And she basically described it like this. Basically, after hiking for hours, you kind of come out of the trees. And then, like, there's the back of the rock before you. And you got to start to ascent the actual final climb of the rock. But then as you get along a little bit, all of a sudden, all, like, it just turns into, like, rocks. Just bunches of rocks. And you've got a boulder the last hundred feet on all fours, with cliffs on either side. And she looked at me, and she she was kind of like, I was not feeling it, right? I was not feeling it. Um, And it was at this point, right, the reality of the situation had set in. She had gone as far as she could go on this hike safely. She had gone as far as she could go safely. And so, I believe, has American Christianity. We've built the largest Christian subculture that that the world has ever seen. We have Christian music, Christian movies, Christian bumper stickers, Christian restaurants, Christian catchphrases, Christian celebrities. We have built a giant wall to keep us safe. But in so doing, we have effectively built a wall to keep others out. We have gone as far as we can go safely. Yet safety is not what we're called to. I've never known anyone who saved anybody staying safe. No fireman has ever put out a fire while sitting in the fire station. No lifeguard on the beach has ever rescued a drowning swimmer from the chair. We can never rescue people and still remain safe. Jesus certainly didn't. He left the divine comfort of his heavenly home to go to the cross he said, follow me. Look at Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Because it's quick. It'll be up on the screen. But always, if you want to bring your Bibles, that's great. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. We're going to start here and then we're going to fly through Scripture today. We're going to fly all over. But we're going to start here. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Jesus didn't say, stay. He said, go. And you don't make disciples from those who are already disciples. What Jesus is doing here is he's calling the rescued to go to the lost. So today we're going to look at why we should share the message and who should share the message. Again, we're going to look today at why we should share the message and who should share the message. Why do we put ourselves in dangers for others? Why does Christ call us to go? Why do Christians share their faith? Why should you share your faith? Because people are dying. In the story of Esther, she has become queen of the entire known world. And her uncle Mordecai comes to her and informs her that an official of the king is plotting to kill all the Jewish people in the kingdom. Esther tells him, There's not much I can do. Everyone knows that you cannot approach the king without being summoned. Otherwise, it's the death penalty. But here is Mordecai's response to her in Esther chapter 4. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourselves that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to this kingdom for such a time as this. And then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. And then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I will perish. People will... We're about to die. And Mordecai says, do something! And Esther realizes that her safety is no longer worth the price of an entire people. And while this realization is poignant for us, you and me, it goes beyond just our need to lay down our lives. It goes to how we feel. It goes to the need to lay down our comfort. I believe that our love of comfort, has become the most significant barrier to evangelism in the gospel. We have brought, bought into the culturally created idea of the American dream, and it has pushed aside the God-given dream that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And it goes beyond just how we feel. It goes though, even beyond our love of comfort. There is something fundamental about sharing Jesus to dying people. Here, I'm going to share with you a perspective from a devout atheist. This man is not in our camp, and our tribe does not agree with us. Penn Gillette from the comedic show Pen and Teller, and this is just a little bit of his perspective from the outside.
1: So listen. I want to talk to you about this. Uh I get home from the show, and at the end of the show, as I've mentioned before, we go out and we, uh, we talk to folks and you know, sign an occasional autograph and shake hands and so on. And there was one guy waiting over to the side in the um, what I call the hover position after I was old on Big Guy, probably about my age. Big Guy. And um, he had been the... Um, the guy who has uh, picks the joke during our psychic comedian section of the show. Uh, so he had the props from that in his hand, because we'd give those away. He had the, uh, the joke book and the, and the envelope and the paper and stuff. If you haven't seen the live show, it's uh, not worth explaining. We he had props from the show that we'd given him from the night before. Uh, he wasn't the guy that night. And he walked over to me and he said... Um, I was here last night at the show and uh, uh, I saw the show and I liked it and I wanted and He was very complimentary about my use of language and um, complimentary about, you know, honesty and stuff. He said nice stuff, no reason to go anywhere. He said nice stuff. And then he said, I brought this for you. And he handed me a uh, Gideon pocket edition. Um, I thought it said from the New Testament but I also thought of it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? Or, uh, Psalms, from the New, just part of the New Testament. little book about this big, this thick. You know. He said, I wrote in the front of it and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of uh, proselytizing. I mean, he said, I'm a businessman." getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, How much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. This guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a a Bible which had written in it a little note to me uh, not very personal but just you know like to show and so on and then like five phone numbers for him and an email address if I wanted to get in touch now I know there's no God and one polite person living his life right doesn't change that uh but I'll tell you he was a very 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 good man and uh that's really important. And with that kind of goodness, uh, it's okay to have that deep of a disagreement. I still think that religion does a lot of bad stuff, but man, that was a good man who gave you that book. That's all I wanted to say. And you looked him in the eye.
0: In the eye. <clears throat> People are dying. Jesus points to it. Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Lost. Think of your neighbor who you've never really talked to other than to wave at the bus stop. A neighbor who you didn't know, but their husband just lost their job, and they're hurting, and they don't know where to go. Or Matthew 9.11-12, Jesus tells the Pharisees that those who are well have no need of a physician, but it is those who are sick. Sick. Think of your coworker who, who you sit two desks from, who you see every day and that you would never know was struggling with an addiction. Paul says it in Romans 6:23, "For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Sin. We're all sinful. Every person is sinful, and therefore we are all dying. We look around us in a given day and and we see on Facebook people whose lives are perfect. We are experts at putting on a good front. But scratch beneath the surface and you will see a dying person. Whether in this world or the next, death is an undefeated foe. But notice something else Paul says in Romans 6.23. People are dying. But some have been saved, not by their works, but by Jesus Christ. And now you know plenty about the Titanic. 2,400 people headed out. 1,500 died. 700 lived. 20 lifeboats, not enough. Launched half full. Hundreds of people got life vests. They didn't go down with the ship. They were floating there, crying out, Save me! Save me! Twenty lifeboats kept floating the other way until one turned back and six were saved. The next day when the funeral ships came, they found 328 people floating in the water, dead. These people didn't die because the ship went down. These people died because the people who are already saved wouldn't go back to save them. If we believe that we have been given the message of life, what do you do with dying people? Jesus left heaven to go to the cross To save dying people. He said, follow me. And if you say you will, then it will not be long before you find yourself in a sea of lost people laying down your life, your comfort, and your reputation for them. The other reason we share Christ is because people are ready. At the end of Matthew 9, Jesus shares an encouraging perspective. Jesus has gone out through all the towns and villages teaching in the kingdom in the, uh, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest. Jesus tells us people are ready. The harvest is ready. People are desperate. People want to know. When there's something that is ready, there's both an excitement and the an immediacy that comes with the anticipation of getting it. My wife and I love the library, and we often are putting books on hold that we want to read. Often, for my wife, it's the newest Jack Reacher novel. For me, it's a Brandon Sanderson epic novel. And when they're on hold, we check our emails every day, waiting to see. And once that email says, your books are ready to be picked up, I know exactly what will happen. We will drop whatever we are doing. We will throw the kids in the car, probably still in their pajamas, and we will head straight to the library. People are ready. Never has society had more money, more technology, more knowledge, more stuff. And never has our society seen more mental breakdowns, more depression, more doubt, more pain, more brokenness. And in this desperate time, Jesus has a message of hope. Earlier in Matthew 9, before Christ points us to the need, he shares the solution. Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat, and go home. And so the man got up and went home. Jesus Christ is saying, I'm the solution. Jesus Christ offers healing and meaning to your life. Jesus offers hope and darkness in a dark world. In a world with no answers, Jesus offers answers. Maybe you're that person right now. Maybe you're feeling ready. Maybe maybe you're feeling desperate for healing, for hope, or you have questions that have had no answers. Jesus offers answers. He offers hope. He holds out his hands out and says, "Come to me." And all it takes is recognizing You can't do it. And on the cross, he has already done it. And, if you've already been convicted that this is true, that Jesus Christ is the hope of the world, if you have been convinced that this is the greatest message in the world, then you have become the messengers. So then who should go? Who should we send? Who will be the messengers for the message? You. Jesus says it's you. Think about it. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they be saved? Call on the one whom they have not believed in. How can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear If there is without someone preaching to them, and how can so anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news! And this has been true since the beginning. In Exodus, God tells Moses that He's going to save His people. Moses responds with a big woohoo. Then God says, "I'm sending you," and Moses responds with a big say what? Let's go back to Esther. Mordecai asked her. What if she had not come to the kingdom for such a time as this? What if you have not come to this city, or this job, or this neighborhood, or this friendship, for such a time as this? And in Mark, Jesus says, The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus is saying, "The time is now. The time has come." And so you say, "I'll go." I just don't know how they'll respond. When Paul shares the gospel in Athens at the Areopagus, he gets three responses. We should similarly expect it. Some people laughed at him and thought he was crazy. Some people wanted to hear more and were curious. And yet, still, some believed. People are waiting. For the people who think you're out of your mind for believing in Jesus Christ, there are still some who want to hear more. And there are those who want... Still there are those who are desperate for the message of hope and will believe. And so you say, I'll go, but I don't know what to say. Neither did Moses or the Apostles. When Moses says to God, I, I can't go, I don't know what to say, God's response in Exodus 4.12, go. I will help you speak and would teach you what to say. When the disciples were about to go out for the very first time to preach, Jesus affirmed them by saying this in Matthew 10, On my account, you'll be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they, when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. And for us who, who can't live on the trust God, there's still a whole lot of training in that. I mean, just a few practical thoughts to give you some places, tracks to run on. Like, just, just ask a good question or two. Some of my go-tos, you're welcome to steal them. I stole them from others. Hey, what's your spiritual background? Or, hey, I've been having this discussion with some people. From your understanding, what would you say is the main message of Christianity? Yeah, if those two questions don't give you a little space to move, I don't know what will. Um, And you'd be surprised how much people are open to those things. Or maybe grab a tool, a book, a guide, equip yourself. Grab a booklet that helps you share the gospel if you don't feel confident in it. If you talk to me, I'll point you to the Knowing God Personally booklet. That's what we use in crew, but there's tons of them out there. Grab a book that will train you in how to share your faith. One of the ones I love is called Cojourners. If you're interested, I will buy it for you. It is wonderful. It will show you how to engage in evangelism with others. Or grab someone who's done it before. Grab someone you know who shares their faith regularly. Which leads into the third practical thought is get some training. I've been blessed through my job to have a ton of training in this area. I don't ever feel like this is one of those areas I'm gifted in. Evangelism, not a gifting. But I certainly feel equipped. I certainly feel equipped. So, if you want some training, let's grab a meal. Let's talk before church. Let's talk after church. I'd love to jump in to your specific situation and help you think how you can share Christ with those around you. But let's go back to this. Even if you don't know what to say, even if you don't have some great training, say something. Say anything. You never know how much time you have left. Four years ago, I was at SVSU connecting with some guys, uh, Saginaw Valley State University, one of the campuses we go to. And I was connecting with some guys, sharing the gospel, talking about Christ, spiritual things. And around week six, I met this guy named Seth Thomas. Seth came from a Christian background, but when I was asking him how it was going in college, he shared pretty honestly uh, that it was really hard. So we started to Meeting just to connect about life, to to talk about God. And a couple weeks later, we broke for Thanksgiving break, and so we set up a time on the Wednesday when we got back to meet up again. In all break, I was excited, praying for Seth, imagining what would happen if his faith caught fire. Maybe what would happen if he went to our annual winter conference in the January. I was so excited. What if God so captured Seth's heart? that he would use Seth to transform the campus of SVSU with the gospel. So clearly I was pretty excited to connect with him when I got back to SVSU that Wednesday. First thing I did, shot him a text. When I didn't hear back, I, I gave him a call. Nothing. I was bummed, to say the least. Two hours later, another guy who met with us a couple of times texted me. Hey, did you hear what happened to Seth? Nope, I responded. I did not have to wait long for his reply. He texted me, he died in his bed last night. I thought I would have a hundred more conversations with Seth. Turned out I had none. Tomorrow is not promised to us or our friends. So will you go? Will you be the feet that bring good news? Who's your Seth? Who are you assuming you will have another day to talk to that you need to share with now? Will you step out of your safety and rescue the dying? Elizabeth decided to boulder those last hundred feet to the summit of Tooth. Cliff edges and danger aside. And when she got there, she described to me a most beautiful view. Will you risk danger, social discomfort, so that you might see the beautiful view in heaven of people who have experienced life and hope? Let me pray. Lord, there is nothing more important in this world than giving you glory. And there may not be anything more glorious than seeing you transform lives, bring hope to the hopeless, hear the broken. And so there might not be anything more glorious than sharing the gospel with those who need it. Lord, I know I'm terrified when I think about those in my life that I'm not quite pressed in with, that I've settled for easy. But would you give me the boldness and the strength, each and every one of us, to share your gospel proudly, to recognize that you have saved us. And so we turn around and go back after those who are perishing, who are dying. In your name we pray. Amen.